This is episode 5 of the Magic Detective Podcast. On this episode, it's a starter's guide to Harry Houdini. That and more on the Magic Detective Podcast. Hello and welcome to the Magic Detective Podcast, your home for all things magic history. I'm your host, Dean Carnegie, and this is episode 5. Uh, I want to thank everyone who has uh, downloaded the podcast. The numbers are growing every day. And though I've not done a lot to promote it, the word is getting out there. And speaking of that, you can help too. If you like the show, please share it with others. I saw this on another show. They said, share, like, and subscribe. And that's that's exactly right. If you like the show, share it, like every episode, and of course, subscribe, because that way you'll find out about the new episodes as soon as they're posted. So share, like, and subscribe if you could do that. Now, recently, I've spent a few days uh, going through other podcasts, listening to various programs, and trying to find podcasts that mention Harry Houdini uh, or include Houdini in the topic. And what I found was a little surprising. In fact, out of all of the podcasts I listened to, I can't recommend a single one. Actually, that's not quite true. There was one um, that wasn't too bad, but they mispronounced so many names that it drove me crazy and I had to eventually bail on them. Um, And I want to point out that these podcasts were not magic-related podcasts. So, you know, I can cut them a little bit of slack. But um, So that left me with a bit of a dilemma. And that is, there's no good podcast out there that talks about the life of Houdini. So I thought I'd put together a podcast or two or four or 12 about Houdini. Uh, the the first, uh, this one today, is um, kind of a starter's guide or a beginner's guide to Houdini. But for those people that know a little bit about the man, I'm going to try to throw in some information that is not as quite... Uh, is not as well known. So uh, so you could kind of consider this uh, today's episode to be a, an entire episode of Houdini Radio. Now, I want to start by setting the stage. Uh, so let's start in the year 1865. Now, in 1865, the American Civil War has just ended. In April of 1865, the 16th president of the United States, Abraham Lincoln, is assassinated. Now, if we fast forward a mere nine years, we come to 1874. In 1874, Ulysses S. Grant is president of the United States. In January of 1874, the James Gang, headed by Jesse James, robs a train in Gads Hill, Missouri. In January 1874, John D. Rockefeller Jr. is born. In March of 1874, the poet Robert Frost is born. In April 1874, the first Impressionist exhibition is given in Paris, featuring works by Monet, Degas, Renoir, and Pissarro. In May 1874, Levi Strauss receives a patent for a pair of blue jeans with copper rivets. In June of 1874, Cochise, the great Apache warrior, dies. In July 1874, the Philadelphia Zoo opens for the first time. In August 1874, Herbert Hoover is born, 
who would later become the 31st president of the United States. And in March 1874, in Budapest, Hungary, a boy is born named Eric Weiss. Oh, and I should also mention that in April of 1874, in Appleton, Wisconsin, a boy is born named Eric Weiss. So that gives you a little bit of the historical perspective where we are on the timeline. So what is this thing about Eric Weiss? Who is that? Well, Eric Weiss, of course, is the real name of Houdini. That's his uh, name he was born with. Houdini claimed throughout most of his life that he was born on April 6th, 1874, and he was born in Appleton, Wisconsin. However, historians uh, later found out that uh, Houdini was born on March 24th, 1874, and not in Appleton, Wisconsin, but rather in Budapest, Hungary. So Houdini was not um, a native-born American. And to confuse matters more, prior to 1900, Houdini actually claimed that he was Austrian rather than uh, being born in Appleton, Wisconsin. So, But he always claimed this April 6th date as his birth date. Now, one thing that I read, and this could be true, I haven't researched it a whole lot, had to do with the two calendars, the Julian calendar versus the Gregorian calendar, and that March 24th and April 6th are actually the same date. Well, that could be true, and if it is, okay, that's fine, but it doesn't explain the difference between the two birth locations, Budapest versus Appleton, Wisconsin. So, there's that little discrepancy. Houdini, after 1900, would put April 6, 1874, Appleton, Wisconsin, on legal documents. His passport, for example, had that. So it's very interesting that he would choose that. Now, to confuse matters even further, Houdini didn't actually make it to America until 1878. Uh, his father was here. His father came in 1876 to try to start... Uh, a life here in the States and then bring the family over. The family came over in July of 1878. So Houdini was four years old when he, when he arrived here in the States with his brothers and his mother. The Weiss family settled in Appleton, Wisconsin, a kind of a Midwest town and not a huge town, just a, a small town um, surrounded by uh, dairy farms and farmland and such. And uh, it was a very nice upbringing for uh, for a young family. It was mainly uh, German uh, descendants that lived in that area. And Houdini's father was given a job as the rabbi of a new synagogue there. And everything seemed to be working out pretty well until in 1882, the congregation at the synagogue decided that they were going to let Rabbi Weiss go because they were looking for either someone that spoke English or someone that had a, more of a progressive ideas on, on uh, how to deliver the sermons and such. Uh, Rabbi Weiss delivered his sermons in German and had a very old world approach. So Rabbi Weiss and the Weiss family packed up and moved to Milwaukee. In Milwaukee, Houdini had, uh, had something to say about that. Uh, he would say, 
Such hardship and hunger became our lot that the less said on the subject, the better. And this was referring to his life in Milwaukee. They lived in Milwaukee, Wisconsin from 1882 to 1887. They moved four different times while they were living there. Houdini didn't like to talk about that time period, but fortunately for us, there's quite a bit of information on his life in Milwaukee. For example, in December of 1882, when he was only eight years old, Eric, we'll try to refer to him as Eric for a little bit here. Eric and his brother Theo both worked as newspaper boys selling copies of the newly established Milwaukee Journal on the streets there in, uh, in Milwaukee. In addition, Eric was uh, also a boot black, which is a term used for shoeshine boy. Basically, that's what that means. Now, if I have my dates right, uh, in 1883, Eric is sent back to Appleton, where he becomes an apprentice to a man named John Hanauer, who was a local gun dealer and locksmith. Now, it's here that Eric picks open his very first pair of handcuffs. The story goes, the Appleton sheriff uh, came by the shop to see if a pair of uh, cuffs could be opened that were on a prisoner's wrists. The key had actually accidentally broken off into the cuffs, so in order to get the the gentleman out, they were going to have to either pick them somehow or probably cut the uh, the cuffs off the uh, off the prisoner. So uh, Mr. Hanauer told Eric after looking at the cuffs, you know, go ahead and saw off the cuffs, and in the meantime, he, Mr. Hanauer, and the sheriff were going to go to lunch. So Eric studied the mechanism, and he began to work on the cuffs himself, and eventually he opened them. And when the owner returned, John Hanauer returned, he was surprised but delighted to see the cuffs not only opened, but opened without being cut off. Eric had created a method at such a young age that he would use for many, many years to come. Also in 1883, at age nine, Eric made his show business debut as Eric Prince of the Air in Jack Hofler's Five Cent Circus. October 28th, 1883 was his show business debut, and according to uh, Houdini later in life, he said, I appeared as a contortionist and trapeze performer. My contract called for 35 cents a week. Now, the small rub here is that Jack Hofler was a neighborhood friend of Eric's and was only four years older. After this momentous event, Eric returned to Milwaukee. In 1885, when Eric was 11 years old, his father took him to see Dr. Lynn. Now, was this because of an ailment? Was this because of a cold? Uh, No, Uh, Dr. Lynn was not a medical doctor. Rather, it was the stage name of John Hugh Simmons. Dr. Lynn was a magician from England who had arrived in America in 1882 and was touring the country. The story has it that young Eric Weiss went to the theater with his father, Rabbi Samuel Mayer Weiss, and they saw a performance of Dr. Lynn. Eric was enthralled by the performance, and later in life, he actually purchased all the props uh, from the act from Dr. Lin's son. Uh, and now, much is made of a particular routine called palagenesia, which is a dismemberment routine. In Dr. Lin's show, uh, he would cut off the arm of a gentleman, then he would cut off the person's leg, and then the head of the person, and then 
Momentarily later, he would restore all of it back to normal. Later in life, Houdini would admit as a child, he thought Dr. Lin was really cutting off the arms and legs of the man. And Lin's Palagenesia would make its debut in Houdini's 3-in-1 show, which was the big show he did um, in the last years of his life. One unfortunate side note, however, it appears that the man that young Eric Weiss saw in Milwaukee probably was not the actual Dr. Lin, but rather an imposter. Now, it's true Dr. Lin was in America um, in 18... Uh, what did I say? 1882 in a, a tour, but he had already returned to England by the time Houdini would have seen him. And there's no record of Dr. Lin going to Wisconsin. And this type of thing is not totally unheard of. Back in the days of Senor Blitz, who was a magician during the Civil War era, uh, there were multiple people across the country using Blitz's name. So it seems that the popularity of Dr. Lin's act caused copycats to arise in America. Around 1885 or 1886, Houdini is introduced to Patsy McCartan, who was a fireman in Milwaukee and a local boxing champion. Now, McCartan becomes a boxing coach to the possibly 12-year-old Eric Weiss. Man of times changed. And by all accounts, Eric was quite the barefisted boxer. Uh, later in life, when he moved to New York, he would continue boxing on the side. He was a very athletic uh, young man. Let's get back to Milwaukee. In 1886, Eric is struck by the adverse poverty of his family and decides to run away. And he was running away to, to hopefully find a job that he can make money and help out the family. His plan may have been to become a, a boot black, a shoeshine boy, for the U.S. Cavalry. And he had intended to follow them all the way to Galveston, Texas, but only got as far as Delavan, Wisconsin. To Eric's surprise, the military men usually had highly polished boots, so his money-making venture was not going particularly well. Thankfully, he befriended a family known as the Flitcrofts, who took in young Eric, mended his clothes, and gave him a place to stay. Eric chose uh, during that time period to go by the name Harry White rather than Harry Weiss or Eric Weiss. In 1887, uh, after this year-long runaway episode, Eric moves to New York City. It's there he becomes a messenger boy. He also learns that his father is in the city. His father left the family behind in Milwaukee in the hopes of making a better life for them in New York. Through Eric's income as a messenger boy, he was able to bring the rest of the family from Milwaukee and relocate them to the big city. Now, according to the original Houdini scrapbook by Walter Gibson, it's in 1888 that Eric gets interested in magic. This is according to Gibson, but I can't help but wonder about this um, because there, there are references about magic and Eric Weiss as far back as Appleton. And uh, here it is, 1888, and they're saying he became interested in magic uh, then. The more I thought about it, um, I think I know, I think I have an idea of what might have been going on. It may be that in 1888, he started doing performances rather than just, you know, showing a couple tricks. He was actually giving 
performances. The book Houdini, His Life and Art by James Randi and Burt Randolph Sugar mentions Houdini recalling his time years earlier in Milwaukee and thinking of himself as either Eric the Great or perhaps Cardo the Great. So perhaps uh, his earliest shows has him using one of these two names, the 1888 shows. In 1889, Eric meets Joseph Wren. They're both members of the Pastime Athletic Club, and Eric works with Wren uh, to learn how to win races. Uh, Sure enough, before long, uh, Eric wins his first race, and there's this really cool photo of Eric with a chest full of medals. And I remember on uh, an old Houdini documentary, This being pointed out, this picture with him in the medals and the fact that only a couple of them, maybe one or two of the medals were real and all the others were fake. But knowing the competitive nature of Houdini, I'm going to say that I actually believe that uh, those medals on his chest were very likely all uh, won for various races. There's a photo of his friend Joseph Wren who has... His chest is covered in medals, uh, far more than Eric Weiss had on his uh, on his shirt. So based on that picture alone, if you put them side by side, I'd say it's a good chance that uh, the medals that that were on Eric Weiss's uh, uh, track uniform, I suppose it was, uh, were actually real. This is the period also when Eric goes to work for H. Richter's and son's uh, necktie factory. It's there that he meets a boy by the name of Jacob Hyman. The two of them share an interest in magic. And going back to Joseph Wren for just a moment, in the book, 60 Years of Physical Research, Wren mentions that in 1889, Eric informed him that he and Jack Hyman, which is another um, name for Jacob Hyman, were booked to give a performance, but feared it would fail because they didn't have any props. This is interesting. So the book says Wren then invited Eric to join him at a place called Martinka's, and he'd give him like an early Christmas present by buying some uh, magic props for him. Martinka's, for those of you that don't know, was one of the oldest magic shops in America. It was in New York City, and years, years later, Houdini would actually own Martinka's for a short period of time. In 1891, Eric comes across a book called The Memoirs of Robert Houdin, a biography of the greatest magician in all of France. Uh, The book... Uh, made the then 17-year-old believe it was possible to have a life as a magician. This is also when his buddy Jacob Hyman suggested he change his name to Houdini. By simply adding an I to the name Houdin, it would mean like Houdin. So uh, in French, that's what, you know, that's what Jacob Hyman said. I don't think that's really the case, but in any uh, in any case, Eric did change his name, so now he was Harry Houdini, and Jacob actually becomes the first Houdini brother. So technically, he's the second Houdini. You probably didn't know there were several Houdinis. Of course, there was Harry, the original Jacob Hyman, who was uh, the second Houdini. There was Jacob Hyman's brother Joe, would be the third Houdini. Then. Uh, Harry's actual brother, Theo, would be the fourth Houdini. And then there was one other Houdini I'll mention 
a little bit later. But for now, I'd like to focus on these Houdini brothers. The act started with uh, Harry and his friend Jacob Hyman. The highlight of their act was their trunk trick. Uh, Houdini would make his, uh, his his trunk trick the, the cornerstone of their of his early career. And I always wondered, where did this trunk come from? In fact, I was scouring through a bunch of biographies in the last few days, trying to find where the, uh, the trunk came from. And um, I was about to give up. Then all of a sudden I found this really small passage from the, uh, the James Randi book on Houdini, which reads, a down and out magician offered the young partners, Harry and Jacob, the feature of his act, the trunk trick. They could have both the plans and the apparatus for $25. Hmm. So I guess that's where it comes from. Now, $25, that's no small amount back in uh, 1891, but they apparently borrowed enough money to get it, and they called their version Metamorphosis. Uh, the trick actually dates way back to English magician John Neville Masklin. Um, its original purpose, though, was not the way Houdini presented it. it the original pur- purpose was within a spiritualist uh, type of effect. Who adopted it, or adapted it, I should say, to the more popular version that the brothers would do? I'm, I'm Honestly, I'm not really sure. Basically, you have a trunk, uh, like a large steamer trunk, and one of the brothers would get inside. Well, first he'd have his hands tied behind his back, and then he'd climb inside a fabric sack, and that would be tied, and all of this would go inside the trunk. Uh, The trunk would be closed, uh, it would be locked up, and around the trunk there was a curtain cabinet. So the curtain cabinet would be pulled around the trunk. The, uh, The other brother, in this case Jacob, would step inside the curtain cabinet, he would count to three, and by the time he got to three, he was gone, and now Houdini was there, and he'd pull the curtain cabinet away, There was the trunk still locked, but no Jacob, so they would unlock the uh, trunk, open it up. There was somebody still in a sack. Who could that be? Oh, my gosh, they'd untie the sack, and there would be Jacob inside the sack with his hands tied behind his back. So this was the metamorphosis as presented by the Houdini brothers, and it was uh, was a very uh, very effective mystery. One of their big gigs was playing the Midway at the 1893 Columbian World's Fair, or it's also known as the Columbian Exposition. And among the mysteries, of course, was the trunk trick. Shortly after the World's Fair, Jacob left uh, the act to go out on his own. He actually performed for a short time as Houdini the Oriental Conjurer. His uh, real brother, Joe Hyman, uh, took his place in the Houdini Brothers Act, and that it that's until Joe left, and then uh, Harry went and got his real brother, Theo, or who's also known as Dash, uh, to join the show. So now the, uh, the Houdini brothers were actually real brothers. Oh, and really quick, back to the 1893 World's Fair. Uh, I mentioned it was also known as the Columbian Exposition. There were some highlights there besides the brothers Houdini. First, there was the uh, first ever Ferris wheel created by George Washington Ferris. Um, and unknown to anyone at the time, just outside the exhibition at a small hotel, H.H. H. Holmes was murdering women by the dozens. 
He had turned his entire hotel into a cleverly gimmicked death trap and would often watch his victims through peepholes in the wall as they died from various techniques. The basement had a furnace, which allowed for easy disposal of bodies, and Holmes was known to have killed nine people officially, but the estimates of unknowns are as high as 200. So H.H. Holmes is actually considered the first serial killer in the United States, and all this was going on during the 1893 World's Fair. Back to the Houdini brothers, Harry and Dash, as as Theo was called. Uh, They played dime museums, ladies' nights, fraternal functions, anywhere they could find a gig. Harry worked for Cole and Middleton's Dime Museum. He worked for Huber's Dime Museum. They, They weren't always the best venues, but it was something. They played bars and saloons, any place that would have them. And then, in 1894 the Houdini brothers came to an abrupt end. It was at this time that Harry met a young girl. Isn't it always a girl? Isn't that what always happens? All right. He met a young girl by the name of Beatrice Rahner. He called her Bess. She was part of an act called the Floral Sisters. And as the story goes, it was actually Dash who met Bess first, and he later introduced her to Harry. Harry was smitten immediately with Beatrice Rahner, and within three weeks, they were married. And they stayed married throughout their whole lives until Houdini died in 1926. This date, though, was June 22nd, 1894, uh, when they were married. And now the act was no longer the Houdini brothers. Now it became the Houdinis. And I'm going to stop there with, uh, with Bess Houdini. We'll get back to that uh, on, another, uh, on another podcast. But right now, I want to finish up this podcast with something that is just crazy. I, I found this. Uh, this comes from a, an old issue of The Linking Ring. And it's in regards to where Houdini was born. Apparently, Stanley Palm, who was uh, a collector and a historian, had in his possession a letter that was uh, written by Gla- uh, yeah written by Gladys Weiss to Bess Houdini, and in the letter, it's well basically says yeah this April sixth thing is true. So uh, I have uh, a transcript of the letter. I'll read it to you now as best I can. Uh, Dear Bess, you must remember how our blessed mother would swell with pride when she displayed the, the worn prayer rug. Don't you? You remember that? I can still, I can still hear her boast in her gentle manner that the Kaiserin Josephine had walked on in many times when she visited some orphan asylum directly opposite our home. On these occasions, Her Royal Highness looked in on our family to pay respect to our important and intellectual dad. However, the little rug was associated with a tragic episode. There was an infant son, Eric, of our household at that time. This babe, through a fall, died suddenly and broke the hearts of both our parents. Both of them said... If ever another son were to be their blessing, his name would be Eric. You know, Bess, in the Hebraic customs, newborn children are named for the departed. Later, when uh, the family settled in Appleton, Wisconsin, another son came uh, to bless the home, and this child was Eric. 
Now, I'm sure you've heard Mother tell this story many times before. Fondest thoughts to you and your dear family. Greetings to Dr. Sate from Glad, which is Gladys, of course. So if that letter is to be believed, then um, Mama Weiss used to tell a story about uh, young Eric actually being the second Eric Weiss. That's weird. Now, is it true? I don't know. I'm beginning, as I look at it, I'm like, you know, she mentions Dr. Saint in this letter at the very end, and I wonder if perhaps this letter is actually from Dr. Saint. It's not from Gladys at all. It's a creation of Dr. Saint to further the Houdini myth of being born here in the States. Now, one thing that was uh, interesting in regards to all of this, you know, Houdini was an American, he was born here, blah, 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 blah. And it continued while Bess was alive. One thing I read, the fact that the, one of the reasons, this is just a theory that people had, and it may have been true, the reasons they they kept the whole Houdini was an American thing going after Houdini had died was because of the insurance companies that had been paying out to best throughout her life. And uh, if it had turned out that Houdini had falsified records, they might stop payments, they might ask for their money back. So this was one of the reasons... Uh, according to some things I read, that they kept this whole uh, mythology going. There's one other thing, and it's from this same article that's in the linking ring that I thought was uh, pretty wild. And it had to do with Houdini's brother, Leopold. Now, Leopold and Houdini uh, had had a falling out years before over Sadie Weiss. Uh, Sadie was born or was uh, not born. Sadie was married to Nathan and she divorced him and married Leopold and Houdini did not like it and had, they had a falling out and they never spoke again. So here it is years after Houdini had passed away and Leopold is at some function and there are some magicians there and Leopold did not like to talk about his brother at all. And uh, so the topic comes up about this whole where was Houdini born? Because now the word is out that Houdini was born in Budapest in March, not April. And Dr. Weiss, Leopold Weiss, says, that's nonsense. He was born in Appleton on April 6th. Now, why would he speak up for his brother who he didn't even like anymore and claim that uh, it was at Appleton on April 6th. The only thing I can think there is Leopold was born after Houdini, of course. He, Leopold was born here in the States. So it could be that he didn't know any better. But I, I found that fascinating. Um, the end result, at Houdini was born March 24th, 1874. I don't believe there were two Houdinis, but it makes a really cool story. So that is our starter guide to Harry Houdini. I hope you enjoyed the episode. Please if you like the podcast, please share it with others. Get the word out there. Let people know about it. Please like this episode and please subscribe to the episode so you can find out when the next one comes out with, uh, with any luck. That will be in just a couple days. Halloween is only a few days from now. And I have to get in like uh, 12 performances because I'm a, a full-time 
magician. So I have to get in all these performances and try to get the next uh, podcast out as well. So we'll see how that goes. Before I go, I want to mention one other blog that you should check out. It's called HoudiniFile.com. It's run by David Saltman. It's a wonderful Houdini site uh, blog that has just tons and tons of stories about Harry Houdini. A lot of them uh, information that you won't find in the biographies. The little piece I mentioned about the uh, boxing um, excursion or boxing coach that Houdini had came from the HoudiniFile.com blog. So check that out if you could. Also, don't forget to check out my blog, themagicdetective.com. You'll see uh, lots of articles about magic history there. Until next time, thanks for listening to the Magic Detective Podcast. I'm Dean Carnegie, and we'll see you soon.